Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Before we go into the main part of the show, I want to let you know about a new online PR course for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs that I'm running. It's called Vegans in the Limelight and it starts in June. That's 2017 if you're listening in the future. And you'll learn how to get free publicity by getting yourself featured in the media on a regular basis. Now, the course is particularly for vegan professionals who can't afford to hire a PR firm or a publicist at the moment. And I'm running it because I see so many vegan business owners, authors and entrepreneurs missing out on golden opportunities to get into the media, either because they're not confident in approaching journalists because they don't have the skills or they're pitching the media the wrong way. So I'm going to share with you the strategies and techniques for how to do your own PR. The course is tailored specifically for vegan business owners. So there'll be downloadable templates, case studies and bite-sized video training. You'll be able to post questions on the learning platform, which I'll personally respond to. And there'll also be three live group calls you can jump on to ask me anything about getting into the media. And I'll give you answers specifically for your business. So you're not going to be left to struggle along on your own with the course. So if you're keen to get your vegan brand in the limelight, head over to veganbusinessmedia.com where there's a link to the course with all the details. And I'll also put the link on the show notes page. And if you type in the coupon code podcast, as you enroll, you'll receive a special early bird rate before the 20th of April. In this episode, I interview Andy Tabar, owner of Compassion Company, an organic US-made vegan clothing line that he runs out of his van while travelling across the US to veg fests each year. Andy is an animal rights activist who completed three trips with Farm Animal Rights Movement's 10 Billion Lives Tour, travelling to nearly every continental state and having more than 10,000 one-on-one conversations educating college students and concertgoers about the cruelty inherent in animal agriculture. His business is very much connected with this activism by producing t-shirts featuring messages that start conversations around veganism or the treatment of animals and which are made as ethically as possible. He's also the co-host of the Bearded Vegans podcast with Paul Stella in which the pair discuss a range of vegan issues. In this interview, Andy talks about how his experience touring with punk rock bands has helped him in running his business, the challenges and benefits of running your business from a van, how he handles scaling up the business, especially with physical location and inventory storage limitations, the one person he hired early on that was instrumental in helping him to run the business effectively, How taking an intersectional approach to his business in manufacturing, operations and marketing gives the brand a competitive edge. How to maintain a relationship when you're on the road for several months a year and much more. Here's the interview with Andy Tabar of Compassion Company. Hello, Andy. Thank you very much for joining me today. Oh, thank you for having me. (laughs) It's great. Very much looking forward to speaking with you, particularly as I'm speaking to you and in your van, because you actually run your business uh, in a mobile way, which we'll dig into um, in a little bit, which is fantastic. So I always kick off, as you probably know, um, with asking um, the question about why, why vegan business owners do what they do and really love hearing about everybody's stories. So tell us about your drivers for running Compassion Co. Why do you do it? Well, for me... I was looking for vegan t-shirts be that had like a, a message presenting veganism in the way that I wanted, which was something that it wasn't too, you know, peace and love. It wasn't too aggressive. Maybe it had a little bit of snark to it, but was something that could start a good conversation. And, you know, I had been vegan for a few years at that point, And I was like ready to take that plunge. It's kind of a rite of passage for all vegans to get that first vegan 
shirt and I just couldn't <laughs> find any one that, that I wanted, you know? So I figured I might as well just make them myself. If no one else is doing it, I'm going to do it. And so that was kind of the, the spark for why I did it. And of course, the overarching reason is that I wanted something that would help promote veganism and something that would be able to be produced in accordance to, you know, the vegan ethics throughout the whole chain of production. And so that was like a big part of the puzzle as well as I was seeing a lot of vegan T-shirts that are being made using brands that didn't have the best labor practices or were not organic and weren't sourcing the materials in ways that I felt comfortable with as a vegan. So I wanted to sort of create something that showed that you could take those things into account and still have a successful business. I love that. I love that you well, one that you filled a hole in the a gap in the market um, because no one else was doing it. Um, and I also really love that you take an intersectional approach to your business. Um, and for people who don't quite know what that means, it's about how different in uh, forms of oppression are connected. And that, yeah, like you say, you know, having a a t-shirt with a cool vegan message is great but if that t-shirt's been made with unethical um, labor practices you know what I mean it, it kind of makes it hip hypocritical and, and incongruent so I, I love that you you take that approach and um, we'll dig into that in a moment but tell us a little bit about the name so why did you choose the name so you know compassion just sort of its definition is about feeling deep empathy for another coupled with a desire to take action to alleviate that suffering. And to me, that that word just gets to the core about of what vegan is about. And, you know, people think of compassion. I think some people think of that as being this very kind of passive, again, peace and love kind of thing. But I think that, you know, compassion can be assertive, it can be forceful, and it can be a strong force for change. So when I was thinking of names for the company, I knew I wanted just like one or two words, something very powerful. And that was the first thing that came to mind. And I was actually shocked that I didn't see anyone that was using Compassion Code, that the website and the, the <laughs> social media was available. And I, I tried to come up with different things. I just kept coming back to it. So, you know, it, it the definition seemed to work so well for what I was trying to do. And eventually it just it just stuck and I went with it and I'm very happy that I have. Fantastic. That's lovely when you find particularly nowadays you're looking for a domain name and it's there. It's kind of like that's almost like a little sign. It's like, OK, it's available. You're meant <laughs> yes. to do it. I love that. So you touched on this a, a bit earlier then about um, vegan. Pro a lot of times, you know, vegan products there, they have to be priced high, whether it's food, whether it's fashion, um, because, well, one, small business owners aren't able to get the discounts available in bulk purchase of raw materials. Plus, also, you know, if, if uh, something is sustainable and ethical, um, uh, you know, such as hemp, for example, I saw some discussions on, on Facebook, um, you know, that the price is higher. And it, it's a shame. I always say that, you know, it's kind of bizarre and, and very unfair that ethical products are more expensive or ethical materials are more expensive. So tell us a bit about how do you kind of handle those issues when running your business? Well, I definitely on the sort of other end of the spectrum, not so much the, the sourcing materials, I do my best to keep my overhead low. And you mentioned that I live nomadically in my van. So I have a car payment, but I'm not paying, you know, a thousand or more dollars for rent every month. And I, as a person, generally live pretty simply. Uh, you know, the van lifestyle is very much about minimalism. So I'm not buying a bunch of extra things because I just can't fit them in my home slash vehicle. So I do things like that to keep things prices low. I also come from very much kind of a punk and hardcore do-it-yourself background, which is about pinching pennies and, and doing things as cheaply as possible. So I try and make up for it on that end of things. But yeah, I there have been materials like I haven't produced a hemp shirt yet because I haven't been able to find one that is, you know, sweatshop free, USA made, organic that is at a price point that I think my customers would accept. Um, I'm going to experiment with that a little bit this year and just see where, where it is for people. But um, it is sometimes a hindrance for me because I do want to have a reasonable price. And I think that for what I offer, the price is good. But I know for many people, they wouldn't consider a $25 t-shirt to be a reasonable price, even given all the extra bonuses of the ethical standards that we built in. But I just, 
you know, I try and keep in mind all of those things and keep my costs as low as possible in other areas. Got it, got it. I love that you've done that by, yeah, creating, you know, and obviously it's not for everybody, but it's something for, you know, some people to think about that, you know, actually kind of living out of your van and traveling around um, the US. So in addition to obviously your, your saving costs and your saving overheads, why else did you decide to run the business from the van and have a mobile business? So it was both a, a personal and a practical reason. You know, when I started the company, I was working another job. I did have an apartment. And so this was kind of my my five to nine job that I did on top of my regular job. And I was traveling. I was in Connecticut. So I'd travel to the Boston Veg Fest, the New York City Veg Fest. And uh, eventually I just started going to as many fests as I possibly could and started traveling all the time. And I was on the road, you know, eight months out of the year and I was paying for an apartment that I was never at. So it just seemed to make way more sense to just get rid of my stuff, get in the van. And so from a, you know, a business standpoint, that's why I made that move. And also I learned that, you know, Facebook can change its algorithm. Instagram can change its algorithm and I can get shown to less people. But if I get out to a veg fest, which is the reason why I travel, you know, there's nothing that beats that actually getting your product in front of people for them to enjoy and react to. So the the veg fests have sort of become a very important key to my my business model. And then from like a personal standpoint, it's something that allowed me a lot of freedom. I get to travel, I get to visit friends, I get to go to cool vegan restaurants and have interesting experiences. And for me personally, I know it's not for everybody, but it is a way of life that allows me to do the things that I like to do at an affordable rate and provide me with a lot of freedom. So, you know, I wouldn't be doing the VegFest circuit if it wasn't some other kind of two things just sort of came together. I spent my whole life either touring in bands, touring with nonprofits. So kind of life on the road is a life that I very much enjoy. So you talked about that's great. You've talked about the yeah the fact that you're on the road and and that's great. I mean it makes perfect sense. Like you know for some people they would just fly across the country. But I like the fact that you've you know that you've managed to fit your business in with a particular lifestyle that that works for you. Now given that you do run the business out of the van, what are some of the challenges of that? You talked about some of what some of the benefits are. What are some of the challenges involved in that? Particularly as you're shipping t-shirts from kind of all over the place. <laughs> yeah, you know, in re in retrospect, it's perhaps not the wisest idea to run a business that's based off of a physical good out of a van, because I do still do all the shipping from the van. Um, and it that my inventory just takes up a lot of space in the van. So that is something that, I, you know, I'm learning about the limits of the space in the vehicle. I used to carry everything with me. Now I have a friend that holds a lot of inventory for me. He'll ship it out when I need it. So certainly that is um, a much more difficult aspect than someone that just has a warehouse. You know, even finding time to do the mail orders, I like to send them out every day so that they're getting people in a timely fashion. And, it, you know, I don't just have a, sh a shipping station set up. I have to kind of set up my whole thing every time I want to do it. So things like that. And I guess also just when you're traveling, if you're trying to get somewhere far away, then, you know, six hours, say eight hours, whatever spent driving, that's time that you're not spending on answering emails or doing whatever else it is that you have to do, um, doing your regular day to day business. Got it. Got it. So it's good to get that balance. It's obviously got its advantages and then uh, some of those challenges. So thank you for sharing those. So on the subject of challenges, what were some of your key challenges when you first started out the company? So when I started the company, I already had a ton of knowledge in the field of screen printing and getting T-shirts and had good relationships with artists because I was in a band and I was the one that was in charge of dealing with getting you know T-shirts and merch and all those things. So that was no problem. But the actual business end of things, like just learning how taxes work, getting business permits... Um, you know, what it, what does it mean to do state, you know, business across state lines and all of those things, those were the biggest challenges to me. So I spent a long time learning those things. I'm still not the best at all that stuff. I've learned to outsource those things. I got an accountant very quickly and that saved me a lot of headaches. <laughs> Smart move. So, yeah. So like the, the business side of being a small business owner 
all of that was something that there was like a real steep learning curve in in terms of catching up with that and making sure I was doing everything properly because you know when you're in a small touring band you're not paying taxes on you know the few shirts that you're selling that's not on like the government's radar so uh, that that was something that was a big challenge for me early on. Got it, got it. I think that's that's good, great that you've shared that because I think that's true for very much a lot of people who set up their businesses and, you know, they're doing it from a passion and, and what have you. And it's so those business, you know, they love the actual doing of the business, like, you know, fulfilling the orders or creating the products, designing the products and what have you. But the actual, yeah, that business side of things, it's a, it is a real steep learning curve. And I can certainly relate to that as well. Um, I was very glad when my partner got a bookkeeper in because initially I did the books for a while. And it was like, I just, I do words, not numbers, you know. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. (laughs) That's great. What about as you've grown as a business? Because you've been going for a a fair while now. You've been going for what? Is it four or five years now? Yeah, it hit uh, five years back in October. Fantastic. So as the business now that you've you know become a bit more well known, what were some of the key challenges? How did they change as you grew as a business? Yeah, it was kind of learning to scale up as I went along because, you know, I'm not someone that's looking to take over the world. I'm not trying to have my shirts in every single Whole Foods, but, you know, learning the importance of scaling up, getting to more and more veg fests and learning how to manage just inventory, things like that stuff that I didn't really have to deal with in the beginning because it's like you could just look at all your shirts and you knew how much you had. And now having shirts in several locations around the country and and sort of learning to forecast how much you need to make, how many how many like shirts you need to get printed for, you know, the next couple runs of VegFest you're doing. That is something that has become more and more challenging as I've started creating more and more volume of T-shirts. Got it. Got it. And how do you see yourself handling that as that kind of as you continue to scale up? I've started, you know, I started keeping records, like detailed records of what I was selling at every fest. So now when I am sort of projecting for the know generally what I'm going to need, as it used to just totally be off of intuition, it'd be like, oh, it looks like I'm pretty low on the extra larges in this design. I should order more of those things. And so now it's a lot more scientific, I guess, analytical in terms of how I'm ordering shirts and what things I am ordering. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. And is it just you? And I know you mentioned you had an accountant. Do you have any staff at all or is it mainly yourself at the moment? Yeah, I don't have any like full time paid employees, but, you know, the the day to day operations, that's me. Um, I do have several people that are very crucial to the operation. Um, Of course, my screen printer, screen printer is actually a longtime friend of mine who runs a a two-person eco-friendly print shop in in rural Missouri. And so he is very crucial. He's someone I'm always in contact with. And I have a few artists that I work with to collaborate to make the designs look good because all I can do is draw stick figures. And then I have a, a couple people, like I said, I have a friend who holds my inventory for me and will ship things out. And I have you know a small crew of people back in Connecticut, where I'm from, that will travel to the Northeast and do VegFest for me when I'm somewhere else in the country. So I have a lot of people that I would certainly not be able to run the business without their help. But as far as on paper and someone that's sort of consistently, you know, employed by the company, I'm the only person that fills that. Got it. Got it. And I love I love that collaboration. It's like, you know, working with those different partners. So even if you can't afford to say, you know, if a business owner can't afford to say employ, uh, take somebody on as an employee, uh, staff, an employee, um, it's good to be able to yeah, set up those partnerships. I'm, I'm glad you've you've shared that. So, you know, you talked about when you first started out, you were kind of filling a, a gap in the market. Now, obviously, you know, since then, there's, you know, as veganism has sort of taken off and become kind of cool and trendy, there's now a more diverse range of vegan fashion including t-shirts. So how do you go about standing out and maintaining regular customers? Ah, that, that is a good question. It is definitely a market that has become very flooded with shirts in the time that I've been doing it. Um, you know, when I started, there was a few people, but everyone had a very distinct kind of voice. And now you start to see a lot of sameness in certain brands that are coming out. So I try and stand out by maintaining that distinct voice. You know, right now, what seems to be kind of hip and trendy are a lot of shirts that are just typography, plant-based puns, things like that. So one of my, you know, key components is that almost every design I do has a really strong graphic element to it. It all features hand-drawn 
um, artwork. So it's a strong visual style. And even though I work with a few different artists, I kind of steer everyone to generally maintain a kind of brand cohesiveness, cohesiveness to the designs. So that is one thing. And then also just in terms of where I stand as a business, I think I kind of cater to people that care about certain issues. So, you know, one of the things that I've done is, you know, I am a fat vegan, so I have made shirts that cater to fat vegans. And that's something that very few other people are doing, um, both in terms of messaging, as well as the sizes that they carry. I carry up to three X in everything I do. And I also even have, you know, from extra small up to three X. So I try and cater to a wide range of body styles and, and sizes, which is something not a lot of brand, brands really do right now. And I also try and make sure it's evident that we use really high quality products, both in terms of the actual you know, garment itself, but also how it was produced, which is another thing that, um, you know, sadly, not as many brands as I would like are doing. So things like that, I hope, set us apart from what has become a, a pretty crowded market at this point. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I love that you explained that. And as we mentioned earlier, I love that you really take that intersectional approach to running your business, because I notice as well, you also uh, use different body shapes, different uh, genders, ages um, in your like for your promo models on your website, which I think is really refreshing. Um, so that's that's fantastic. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the marketing and PR side of things. So what have been some of the marketing strategies you've used that have been successful in growing Compassion Co? You've touched on one already that I suppose the key one which is getting out to those veg fests um what other things uh, strategies have you used I've, I've learned over the years that for me the most important uh piece of marketing is that word of mouth and getting people to take pictures of the shirts that they're wearing so I try to incentivize that through giveaways or discount codes when people do those things from time to time. And when I send mailers out to people, there's a little card that I put in that explains, you know, who I am, what I do, what the business is about, all, all very briefly. And then also saying, you know, if you like what I do, you know, please take a picture, post it, make sure to tag us. And things like that go a really long way in terms of prompting people to take photos. And, you know, what I do is such a visual medium. So I found that getting people just to post a thing that they love and share it with others has been more successful than a lot of, you know, Facebook advertising dollars that I've put into it, Instagram advertising dollars. Um, so, so really the kind of the word of mouth component has been crucial for me. Fantastic. I love that you've shared that because that's actually really refreshing because most people that I've interviewed have said, you know, particularly on, like you mentioned, Facebook and now Instagram is, you know, you've got to pay to play. So I love that you're having some good success with organic um, use of social media. I think that that's really good to know. And yeah, like you say, incentivizing people to to share. And obviously that works better maybe with some businesses than others, but it certainly works well with, with fashion because, you know, people people like what they see and they're like, well, where did you get it? Oh, I got it from Compassion Co. And by the way, did you know it's this really cool company that does this, this and this? So that, that's great that you're, you're making that successful. Now, I was going to talk about the use of the word vegan um, in your marketing, which is, again, it's another question I ask everyone and they've all got different um, views on this. Now, obviously, you're slightly different to a lot of vegan business owners I've interviewed so far in that your market, I guess, is pretty much vegans and animal rights activists. Is that fair to say? And if so, just talk a little bit about the your choice of the to use the word vegan and how prominently. Yeah, I, you know, I get people that are not vegans that purchase our shirts. And we have a few things that are vague enough for someone that wasn't vegan to purchase. Not necessarily, that's not a strategy of mine. But you know, we have a shirt that says plant eater because it's and it has like a, a gorilla or an elephant or a rhino. It's a whole series. And you know, we just do that to kind of address the protein thing and to show uh, you know, all these big, strong land animals do it. But I didn't feel like I wanted to put vegan on it because I don't think that they're like animals taking some ethical choice. So but for the most part, everything I, I produce is for vegans to wear and to start conversations. That's what I hope my shirts can do is starting conversations with someone at the supermarket when they're in line at the checkout. Oh, what is oh the shirt has a unicorn on it. What do you mean humane meat doesn't exist? So yes, that's a good one. I saw <laughs> that the other day. I was like, oh, that's very good. Very yeah. Cool. <laughs> you know, so so for me, obviously, there's no question. I you know produce something that is very much for loud and proud vegans that want to represent their lifestyle and want to 
you know, expose others to whatever other whatever <laughs> messages I have on my shirts. Um, you know, I absolutely understand the businesses that choose not to really put vegan out there. And I, I feel like I respect all of those strategies. I think we need all of those things out there. I think it's great when there's a business like Cineholic that is just thriving and just happens to be vegan. I think that's yeah. great. And I also love it when I see a place that's like, hey, we're a vegan pizza place. And that's their huge sign up front. I think we sort of need that diversity of tactics. But, you know, for me, my, it's it's very much like kind of hyper niche focused. And I'm okay with that. You know, like, again, like I said, I'm not trying to take over the world. I'm just trying to, you know, have a comfortable lifestyle, promote veganism and and donate money to help animals. So for me, I feel totally comfortable, you know, I guess limiting myself. I use air quotes saying that by just focusing on a specific vegan market. Got it. Got it. And I love that you're absolutely right with something like T-shirts. They really are a conversation starter, you know, because people can't help. We can't help looking at other people's T-shirts, even if we don't really want to. We kind of can't help it. You know, if we're walking along and particularly if something's striking, you know, your eye is naturally drawn to it. So when you've got, like you say, you know, strong visuals and, uh, you know, curious, you know, tapping into people's curiosity to open those conversations, I think it's a really good example of running a business as a form of activism, um, which I, I really love. And I think you're a fantastic example of doing that now I wanted to touch on um, your podcast because you also run um, a podcast now do you do that as something that's kind of like a bit of fun or does it also have like business benefits in that you can promote your business through it uh, the podcast, which is just called The Bearded Vegans, it's me and another friend who both have beards and <laughs> he he approached me about doing it and was like, hey, would you like to be a co-host or maybe a regular guest? And I love podcasts. I've gotten really into listening to them. And so for me, it was just something that I wanted to do. And he kind of presented the opportunity to do it. And turns out, as I'm sure you know, they are a ton of work, especially if you're trying to schedule <laughs> guests. And, you know, we try and come up with different topics every week. It's a weekly podcast. But I, I have no desire to monetize the podcast and, and neither does my co-host Paul. We had a conversation early on, like, should we do ads? Should we do like presented by Compassion Co? Or, you know, it, it's just something where we both have, you know, relatively stable forms of income. He's actually a, a college professor and a high school teacher of math. And, um, you know, we, we kind of like keeping it relatively pure like that. I will mention at the end of every episode, you know, the veg fest that I'll be at, but it's not something that I created to promote the business in any way. It's just, it was just a way for me to have a bit more of a creative outlet because there is creativity involved with creating the shirts, but um, you know, you're not like creating this content that people are really connecting with on a weekly basis in the same way that a podcast can sort of fulfill that creative need in my life. Got it. Got it. I like the fact that you've done that quite organically and naturally, like telling people, OK, I'm going to be at these veg fests. So it's kind of, I guess, a low key way of um, promoting your business without overtly promoting it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Cool. Fantastic. So for those people then, um, Andy, they're in a job, they're doing the nine to five and they think, oh, I'd love to start my own you know, vegan run business. Um, what advice would you give them? What should they take into account before making the jump? Well, I would say in terms of, you know, T-shirts talking what I know, I would say make sure that you have something interesting and original and unique to offer to the market. Um, I guess you can apply that to anything. But, you know, ask yourself, does the world need X, Y, Z? You know, does the world need another vegan yogurt? Does the world need another vegan, you know, ice cream or something like that? And if you think it does, whatever it might be, go for it. And if not, find something else to do. So, you know, in terms of T-shirts, it's like, does the world need another clothing line that's doing plant-based puns that are all, you know, typography? No. But does the world need a vegan clothing line that's like, you know, nerd culture, crossover images with sci-fi references and veganism combined? Yeah, like no one's really doing that. So go for it. So make sure that whatever you're doing is something that is unique and make sure that you can do it better than everybody else and make sure it's something you're passionate about. Like don't do it just to make money because any business is a grind, you know, and if it's going to be your love of the thing and your love of promoting veganism, perhaps that 
keeps you going through when things are not so good and when things perhaps are not profitable. Yeah, that's very important. A lot of people say that it's that you've got to have that that helps you to to keep going through. And thank you, but you just shared a little isn't a business idea then the nerd culture <laughs> sci-fi reference, or is that going to be a new line, maybe a new direction for you guys? Oh, <laughs> I guess someone else that, snaps it up. <laughs> remains to be seen, but <laughs> I would sure. love it if someone poured their heart and soul into that. You know, there's there's a ton of great being clothing lines that I love, and all have very unique voices to what they're doing. Yeah, for sure. I I personally want to see way more vegan bling um, on fashion because I love my sparkle. Yes. Um, so yeah, I want to see more yeah bling stuff in vegan fashion. And I try to put that out there wherever I can because I don't want to do it. Like I'm I'm not that <laughs> interested in fashion, but like I would be. I'm so a customer, and I'm sure I can't be the the only person that wants that. But anyway, yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? I think there's it's no, it's good to know that there is still um, you know room in the market for for something original and unique so I'm glad that you shared that so what about then what skills from your previous jobs and career have been useful in running your own business I mostly everything that I've taken from my past life into this business is things that I have skills that I have acquired through touring with bands and you know that was something that I was doing from high school up through beyond college and I had my own band. I toured with friends bands and I took on in many cases, kind of a tour manager position. I was booking the tours. I was, you know, dealing with payments at the end of the night. I was, you know, the guy that had to make sure things were getting done. And, you know, I had others that helped with that, of course, but you know, that is kind of what instilled a certain kind of do it yourself ethic and drive in me. So more so than I think any schooling that I had, you know, I, I did complete four years of college and um, I, I look back on those years fondly, but it was truly my time on the road, um, you know, in struggling bands is what sort of prepared me for what I am doing today and, and taught me how to be self-motivated and ultimately kind of taught me like, no one's going to do it for you. You have to go do it yourself. If you want it done, go do it yourself. I love that. And it's so good to hear that because I think sometimes people panic, particularly if they want to, you know, start a business and maybe they haven't got a huge amount of experience in it and they think, oh, well, I've got to have, you know, a degree in this and a degree in that. And I think it, I always love hearing about, I guess, yeah, self-made entrepreneurs who, you know, kind of learn from actually doing. So that's um, very, but not to say, that, you know, if you want to go to college, you know, obviously you're not saying people shouldn't go to college, but it's just good to hear that it's not the be all and end all. Um, and yes. You can certainly, as you say, get a lot, a lot of information a lot of skills by actually doing so that's yeah. fantastic you know it's I mean, funny yeah. it's funny because um in in the college that i went to they had like a music business program and i would see people that were were doing that to learn how to be tour managers and then i had friends who didn't even graduate high school that were very successful tour managers because they went out and did it they didn't learn about it they just went out and did it so i think sort of having practical experience to me trumps any kind of schooling experience that you can get. And uh, a very wise friend of mine once said, a library card is free. So you can, the knowledge <laughs> is out there and you don't yeah. need to pay for a really expensive degree. Obviously, they can be helpful for many people, many situations, but nothing beats just going out there and doing it or approaching an entrepreneur that's doing what you want to do and asking if you can buy them a coffee and pick their brains or whatever it might be. Um, I think you'll learn so much more from doing that than you will from going to school for a lot of these things. Absolutely. No, I agree with you. I guess there's certain things like maybe you're going to be a, a doctor or a nutritionist or something <laughs> like that. Then you're quite. I, I just want to put a, a, a you know, a, a, what's the word? Disclaimer in there, just in case I get people running and going. You're telling people to go off and you know advise people this. So yeah, look, if you're going to do something like you know where it involves people's health or it's something really, really specialist like that, then yes, obviously you need to get your qualifications and all yeah, the rest don't... of it in place. But yeah, for for running something yeah like you know the fashion or you know creating products of some kind then. And yeah, a lot of it is just about yeah, going and doing it, maybe, you know, interning at, at, at somewhere, you know, and really learning um, that stuff on the ground. So that's a fantastic example. What about funding then, Andy? So every business has some startup costs, um, even if they're just an online only business. Can you talk about some of the methods you use to get started with Compassion Co, as much as you're comfortable sharing, obviously, um, and what you've found that works well? Yeah, you know, I sort of early on decided that I wasn't necessarily looking to take on a ton of debt to do the company. 
And actually, um, Josh, who Hooten, who runs Herbivore Clothing, who I certainly very much look up to, I remember he he said, "Grow slowly. Don't be afraid to grow slowly and grow within your means." So, um, I had um, of just a few thousand dollars that I actually inherited from uh, my grandmother who passed away, and my parents were holding on to it, and I I was like, "This is the thing I want to do." And so I finally took out that money and just started with a few thousand dollars, and then you know I'd sell the shirts, and then I would. Um, you have more money than I started with. And then I would just invest all that money back into the company to get more shirts and just sort of grew it up from there. Um, because I didn't want to have big credit cards. I didn't want to deal with taking out a loan from a bank. And I also wasn't sure even how enticing a small vegan t-shirt line would look to a bank. Um, in recent <laughs> years, I actually did take out a PayPal loan, which is a really great service because you don't have to do a credit check. It's just based off your sales history. So PayPal has their algorithm that's like, hey, we know you sell this much. We know that you'll be able to you know, make back our investment in this amount of time. And the reason I did that was because I was trying to make tank tops. I couldn't find anyone that was making tank tops to my specifications in terms of being organic, sweatshop free, USA made. Um, and I commissioned the shirt company to custom make these things for me, but I needed, you know, um, a lot of money to make that happen. So I took out that small loan and paid it back fairly quickly, but otherwise, you know, everything I've done, I've grown within my means. I haven't really looked for outside funding. Got it. No, I think that's great to hear that. That's a very smart move because I know sometimes people think they sell their stuff and then they're like, oh, great. Now what can I buy with it? And it's it's great, particularly in the beginning. You know, you've you've got to put that money back into the business in order to keep it um, sustainable. And I'm glad you raised the issue of PayPal loans as well. I know I interviewed another vegan business owner, a friend of mine, Justin Mead, who runs Vegan Style uh, Shoe Brand here in Melbourne, Australia. And I think he used one of those. And they're, they're kind of quite good. Um, they're, they're pretty good in a way instead of getting, yeah, like tied up with that credit card so um, fantastic thank you for for sharing that um so the final kind of couple of questions or so around the mindset so tell us about obviously you know there's challenges involved in running a business there's challenges in uh, running a business from a van which you've talked about um it could be a bit stressful and it's a big learning curve so what personal qualities do you believe are essential to staying the course and running a successful vegan business over the long term I think that you have to be very well organized. Um, that is something that I am still trying to master. But I, I think that if you don't answer to anybody, like I, I don't, um, <laughs> that's something that you have to make sure that you are on the ball, that you are answering your emails almost every day, that you're getting the orders out, and that you have a plan of attack every day when you wake up in terms of what you need to get done to feel like you've moved the business forward. So, um, you know, being very well organized is absolutely crucial. Um, I think another really good quality is, you know, learning to recognize when you can't do something well and it would be much better to pay somebody else to do it. So that's where, for me, that's where the accountant came in. And that's also where it comes in with me collaborating with other artists. You know, I recognize that I would not be able to get the quality of art that I wanted, you know, if I was doing it myself. And so I'm going to go to the experts. I'm going to go to the people that I know that do this every day for a living and produce amazing quality. And thankfully, I happen to be friends with a few of those people. And I'm going to, you know, work with them and commission them to do those things. So. Uh, you know, and I'm normally very bullheaded in doing everything myself that I possibly can. That's why I'm still shipping orders out of my van and not paying somebody else to do that. But I think that, you know, learning when it's not worth your time and effort to do something and someone else could do it way better. Uh, I would say that's another really important quality to have when you're starting out. Yeah, that's really important because you end up, you know, you kind of think, oh, but it's going to be an extra expense. But the time you often can put in, like put into something that you're not really an expert at, it actually works out more cost effective um, to hire somebody because then you can focus on, uh, you know, doing the marketing or getting out there or fulfilling the orders and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, that makes really good sense. Very, very good advice. So do you do I mean, I'm thinking because you're on the road a lot, like you mentioned, you travel around eight months out of the year. I mean, does it get a bit lonely on the road? And how do you sort of cope with you know having a strong emotional well-being as a business owner 
You know, I am a total introvert hermit kind of guy. <laughs> um, so I, I personally thrive on the alone time and that's how I recharge. Like I'll do a veg fest and I can turn it on. I can turn on the charm. I can talk with people all day long. But once it's done, I am ready to just sit in a dark room for a full day and not talk to anybody. So it for me, again, it was kind of about building a life that gave me what I needed to be a, a healthy, well-adjusted human being. And for me, that's like a strong dose of alone time. But through all these years of touring, being on the road with bands or nonprofits or doing this, I have a, a very huge network of friends that I am able to you know, spend time with. And, you know, sometimes I'll pass through a city where I have a bunch of friends and I won't hit up anybody just because I'd prefer to have some alone time. But, um, you know, I have a lot of people that will let me come over. We'll grab a meal together. I'll get a shower. And, you know, I pretty much cycle through any area in the country at least once or twice a year. So I get to see a lot of friends that way. And then when I'm not like on the road, I'm back in the Northeast and I'm visiting my parents and my friends that live there. My partner lives in New York City. So I spend a lot of time with her as well. So all, all of those things, there's, for me, there's a really good balance of getting, you know, company with other people, but also getting that alone time as well. Got it. Got it. I just want to pick up on what you said. There. So that's interesting around because I know some couples work in their um, business together and they talk about those challenges. You're kind of like the opposite. So you're actually away from your partner quite some time. So have you got any tips to share with people who might be in a similar situation that their business kind of takes them on the road a lot? Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly, I guess I would just say, look at who you are as a person and see if that's the type of relationship that you want. You know, for, for my partner, she is also someone that values her independence and alone time as well. So it was appealing to be in a relationship with me because that meant that she would also get that and she wouldn't have someone that was kind of clinging to her all the time. So, you know, if if you're someone that needs that constant attention and you have to go on the road. I don't know if I have great advice for you. I think you need to <laughs> change your relationship or change your job um, <laughs> because I, I don't think that that's sustainable in the long term. If you're just if you're just like, you know, honey, I got to go out on the road and grind it out for two years and then we're going to have a really nice life and then I'll be with you all the time and everyone's cool with that. Fine. But for me, you know, this is a lifestyle that I like. I'm going to keep doing it until it no longer makes me happy and fulfilled and you know, that could be three years, that could be 15 years from now, who knows. But for me, it's just something that I am comfortable with, I've accepted, and I I wouldn't get involved with someone that also wouldn't feel that it was a good fit for them. Perfect. Got it. Great answer. What have been the key lessons you've learned through running your business, and either personally, professionally, or both? Who? Uh, that is a good question. I don't know if I <laughs> I'm trying to think. I know I went through these questions last night and I was like, I have a great answer to that. But I don't know if I have. Uh, you know, essentially, I think that, you know, learning what you need as a human being to be, you know, happy and fulfilled in your life and figuring out how you can build a life around that thing. Um, you know, I just learning to be okay with who you are and you know combining all of those things together to one thing or several things i guess for me like i have the business and the podcast um to me that's been like the biggest lesson is learning to sort of listen to myself and my intuition and realize what i need to make the business work in harmony with my personal life as well i'd say that's probably been like the biggest lesson that i've learned cool fantastic and final question then what's your long-term vision for compassion co and yourself you know, I love. If you have one, not everybody <laughs> does. So I just want to throw that in there. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, I'd like to tell us about. Yeah, I I would love to start doing international events. You know, in many ways, doing the Veg Fest is almost an excuse to go travel in places I wouldn't get to go to otherwise. So, um, you know, in the next few years, I wouldn't be surprised if people start seeing me popping up at Veg Fest in the UK or in Australia. I know you have a couple. Yay! <laughs> so that's that's you know uh that's kind of a big travel goal i would like to continue to pursue manufacturing or, or commissioning people to manufacture clothing that is very unique and specific to compassion company um that's something that i'll be able to do more and more as the business grows and I have a little bit more capital to put back into it 
So that's something that appeals to me. But, you know, I don't have any any dreams of having a brick and mortar store. That's not something that really appeals to me. So um, I guess my my future goals are just to learn the limits of, you know, how far this business can go with the lifestyle that I'm currently leaving, leading. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. That's great. You shared some really great um, strategies and insights, Andy. And I say you really are the epitome of an an ethical business that takes into account people, animals and planet. And I think that's really important. And those kind of businesses, uh, you know, very well, well worth supporting. And I love that you've shared how you're able to to do that, um, which is fantastic. So thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is not stuff I get to talk about very often, so it's been a real pleasure. So that was Andy Tabar from Compassion Company. You can find out more at CompassionCo.com. And that link is on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts and going to episode 63. Now for our Vegan Business News Roundup. The recent Natural Products Expo West trade show that was held recently in Anaheim, California, drew a record number of 80,000 attendees. And plant-based was the biggest trend, according to Organic Authority. The event, produced by the New Hope Network, featured more than 3,100 exhibitors in the natural space, including more than 500 first-time exhibitors. Organic Authority writer Jill Ettinger said the biggest trend on the show floor was the explosion of plant-based foods and their link to reduced impact on the climate, improved human health and animal welfare. Citing innovations in non-dairy milk such as Ripple's product made from pea protein, several brands of banana milk and the launch of Elmhurst Nut Milks, which I reported on in last week's episode as the company closed its long-term dairy operations to focus on plant-based milk. More snacks featured plant-based ingredients and Beyond Meat and Tofurky were in high demand during the event. The Plant-Based Foods Association also celebrated its first anniversary with a gathering at the Expo, with queues of people wanting to get in. The association's membership has grown from 22 founding member brands to more than 80 members. Well, this is brilliant news. It's so good to see the plant-based trend take off like this, with both new and existing brands literally changing the way people eat. Vegan sushi is taking over Manhattan, reports New York Eater. Beyond Sushi in New York City is about to open two more locations in the next couple of months, another by the end of the year and plans for another three in 2018. Owners Tali and Guy Vaknin opened their first eatery on 14th Street in July 2012, followed by another two, one inside Chelsea Market and another in Midtown West. The next one will open in April in the Financial District's City Acres Market, followed in May by a larger full-service restaurant at 134 West 37th Street with a liquor licence and plans for another spot in Midtown East before the end of this year. It's great to see another vegan niche business expand like this. There are so many regular sushi eateries in New York, so with Beyond Sushi having several locations, it really gives diners a chance to enjoy something different. It's always great to hear about new vegan businesses starting up. It's even better when existing businesses decide to go vegan. A cafe in London, UK has seen the light and is making its way to becoming all vegan. The Fields Beneath Cafe in Kentish Town, North London, posted a bold statement in its window last week, announcing that it was ditching dairy in its beverages. A large headline states, Last week of cow's milk, followed by a description of the plant-based milks it will use in its coffees instead. It then says the current poster will be replaced for three days with another one explaining why the cafe has made the transition, adding that those who won't be in the area during that time should search for and watch a five-minute video on YouTube called Dairy is Scary. 
The video by Erin Janus, which has got more than 1.6 million views, details the reality of how the dairy industry operates. A post on the Facebook page of the company, which bills itself as a London living wage employer on the 22nd of March, said, It didn't happen overnight. Veganism challenged everything we knew. It challenged so much we enjoyed, so much we championed. Organic, handcrafted, high welfare, humane treatment, made with love. Everything came into question. It took over a year of research, discussion, disagreements, avoidance to get to this point. Wow, you've really got to commend them. So wonderful to see business owners open their hearts and minds and be prepared to look at the realities and make the decision to be truly ethical. I love this and I'll be certainly checking out this place in October when I'm back in my hometown for the VegFest UK trade and consumer shows. Finally, a new artisanal vegan cheese small business has launched in Prince Edward Island, Canada, reports CBC. Now, I know all this week's news has been food focused, which isn't typical because, as we know, vegan businesses are in all different sectors. But this week, there's been some particularly good food stories. Fresh Start Formage is the brainchild of actor Julaine Molnar, who's performed on stage in the Charlottetown Festival productions, including Anne of Green Gables, over the past 20 years. She's also performed at the Shaw Festival in Niagara-on-the-Lake, Ontario, during the past four years. Now back in Stratford, Prince Edward Island, Molnar is wowing customers with her plant-based cheese alternatives that include chevre, cheddar, gouda and feta flavours. Molnar uses crushed almonds or cashews and coconut milk, plus other ingredients including olive oil, nutritional yeast, lemon juice and garlic. She sold out of all 32 of the vegan cheeses in an hour and a half on the first day she brought them to Riverview Country Market in Charlottetown and since then demand has skyrocketed. Molnar has apparently received interest from Sobeys, one of Canada's largest food retailers, in testing her formage in three stores. So this is a really good example of a creative entrepreneur expanding their skills into another area. And it goes to show you that you can start out small. Molnar invested around $3,000 into the business of her own money and quickly attract the interest of major stores. And of course, Molnar has an interesting story. Being a local and an actor tapping into a global trend helped her to get media coverage. And I'll be teaching you how you can do this kind of thing in my upcoming online PR course for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs, which starts on the 5th of June. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate it if you gave it a review and rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. Finally, I encourage you to head over to veganbusinessmedia.com where you can find more resources, including details of my media and PR consultations, copywriting, editing and proofreading services to help you grow your vegan business. I'm Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. And I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode of Vegan Business Talk. Bye for now.